Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. We've all found ourselves in this situation. Maybe you're in an organization at a job and that organization will express a certain set of values that they live by and they love to put it on their website. They love to show it off whenever they can. But then when you actually do the day-to-day job, when you enter a situation where those values are put to test, well, what actually happens doesn't always match those values. And it can be a little bit frustrating when you say to your employer or wherever you are, well, you say that you value people first or whatever the common phrase is. But then when the situation actually went down, the way you were treated, the way that people responded, the decisions that were made did not seem to actually match those values. My guest today, Brenda Boyle, is all about helping organizations live up to those values with her company, Fireheart Coaching. Brenda, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Stephen. I appreciate uh, being here and excited to connect with you all today and for this conversation. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful conversation to be had because I think we've all experienced this or, well, I'll just rephrase it that if anyone out there listening has not experienced this, then you're a really lucky person. But a company, I think the most common thing is we value innovation, but then when you come with a new idea, they say, no, just stick to the script or stick to the process and procedures manual or or whatever it is. But I know this takes on a lot of different forms. So my first question would be, why do you think that is? Why do you think so many organizations don't live up to their values, have say something and then do something else? Short answer, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> Two-word answer. I think it takes a lot of intention, strategy, communication, and perseverance slash consistency in communicating those that it doesn't necessarily often trickle down or throughout the rest of the organization, particularly if the team is growing really big or going through a rapid period of scale, hiring transitions. The values might start with one particular leader or a leadership team, but how does it grow from there? And then when things change, like a global pandemic, what do your values, your company values look like throughout that time of change? I think those are two distinct, but really hard questions to answer. And we're not necessarily taught that in school or taught that from in other places. No, in school, you're mostly taught how to get the answer right. Exactly. (laughs) Like from, from memory which Mm -hmm. seems weirder and weirder in an era where everyone has a device where they can easily just look up something. We're not taught how to like, first of all, figure out what our values are. Cause I think that's the first step in the process, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Starting from that point of self-awareness is so important for any leader in any organization, you know, to think of where have I come from? Where am I now? Where do I want to be? Who do I want to be? And so one piece of advice for anybody thinking through right now, oh, geez, I'm listening to this great podcast with Steven and I'm not quite sure what my own values are. That can be an intimidating question to answer just off the bat. So a piece of advice I'd like to give folks is think about other people you admire. They could be friends, family members, other leaders or colleagues you see in your community and think about why do you admire them? What specifically do they do? And what I've found working with folks is if you think through a few of those examples, you start to notice patterns. 
huh, Mm -hmm. everybody I admire, they all are very honest or they all are really creative or innovative to use your example. So you can start to notice some patterns there looking through folks around you or other people you've encountered that you admire. And then when you determine what your values are, is there a process by which you should express them properly? Because I just think of a value such as people first. And that phrase to me sounds quite vague. It sounds like, okay, what does that really mean? How does that really manifest? Does that mean that like, if you're driving down the road and you think you're about to hit a deer, but you're worried that if you slam on your brakes, you'll kill the person behind you? Well, people over deer. So it kind of sounds a little bit weird and vague. Does someone need to, once you figure out what your values are, express it in a way that people at the company and all these levels of the organization will understand it? Definitely. And I like to say, you have to behaviorally define your values. So going back to the example that you brought up earlier about a value of innovation, I value innovation. So that looks like dot, dot, dot. And think through, I find it easier to start thinking through different phases of operations. What does that look like in the hiring process, the onboarding process, general team meeting facilitations in your monthly department or all staff meeting? Okay, what does innovation look like there? What does it look like when you're trying to make a decision? What does that look like in a feedback conversation? And so think through specific bodies of work or processes that you do in your day-to-day job and then figure out, you know, how does this value apply there? So then you actually know what it looks like in practice, one, to hold yourself accountable. And then two, especially if you're leading a team to share that with other people. You know, we can all say we care about innovation or honesty or inclusivity, but we all probably would define that in a different way. Just like oftentimes when I ask folks, you know, what does being a good leader mean to you? What does that look like to you? Yeah. So many different answers. And so you really have to explicitly define something in more than a sentence with specific examples. And then how often do you demonstrate it with the example of innovation? Does that mean that at your monthly staff meeting, maybe you start out with a 10 minute shout out to someone in the organization who innovated? I think that's a great example of how to do that in terms of your question. How often do you demonstrate that? My response would be always in an ideal world. A lot of times I like to use a metaphor I learned from a training They share the metaphor of cinnamon raisin bread. If you say you care about a value and you apply it in only certain situations, thinking about it like the ingredient of the raisins, if you give somebody then a slice of your cinnamon raisin bread and they don't like raisins, they can just pick the raisins out. Eat around Mm -hmm. the raisins, ignore the raisins. But if you really infuse or just constantly demonstrate and embody the values, you're treating that like the ingredient of cinnamon in the cinnamon raisin bread. You can't pick out the pieces of cinnamon or eat around the cinnamon. It's just really baked into everything that you're doing. Essentially, that's how it works in an organization, right? So if you're treating it like a raisin value, someone who doesn't share your values could easily 
stay in the organization and just kind of dance around if someone doesn't value innovation and they don't want to be an innovative person, they could just dance around it and pick it out. But if if it's treated like the cinnamon and that cinnamon raisin bread, a person who doesn't share that value, they're not going to be able to like avoid it essentially. Say you're a team lead and you're hiring for folks to join your team, explicitly connect how the values of your organization show up in that job description for each particular role. Your job duties are X, Y, and Z. This is how that connects back to us, our organization embodying these values. This is how it's going to show up as part of our performance review process. This is how it's going to show up in our team building activities that we do. This is how it's going to show up in how we run our meetings. Again, thinking through all of the specific examples so you can have it be the cinnamon instead of the raisins in your organization. And then when it becomes the cinnamon rather than the raisin in the organization, does that mean that an organization is less likely to fall into those pitfalls that you mentioned at the beginning where certain stressful situations cause you to lose sight of those values and then people start observing what we've all observed of, okay, they say they value this, but that doesn't really show up in the day-to-day work? Mm-hmm. And that's why I think values can't just live with one person or one team. If values live with everybody across an organization and are upheld or viewed as important by everybody, you're going to hear feedback. And that's yeah. a great thing. Leaders, we need feedback. We need those feedback loops because we're human. We're not going to get everything right 100% of the time. So when we start to maybe act out of alignment with the values, we need the, the rest of the team to know these are what the values are. This is how they show up. And wait a minute, I'm confused. There seems to be a discrepancy here. So I'm going to share that or, you know, call it out, almost sort of serve as checks and balances, if you will. Yeah, for sure. Now, I think a lot of people at certain types of organizations, certain jobs might be a little bit afraid to do that, depending on how your organization, what the environment, what the work culture really is. You're saying that an ideal work environment Everyone, no matter what their job title is, would feel empowered to point out to anyone, regardless of what their job title is, when they're acting in a way that does not match their values. Mm-hmm. And you bring up a really important point about psychological safety, yeah. because that has to exist in order for feedback, for it to be safe. And and for folks listening who may not know what psychological safety is yet or have heard that term but haven't really explored it, it basically means if psychological safety is present in my workplace, I can bring my perspectives, my ideas, and my questions to the rest of the team without fear of being humiliated, belittled, or some sort of retribution happening. And and that's a very general statement. Amy Edmondson, if you want to look for that, she's sort of the the queen of psychological safety where it all started (laughs) from, if you want to go down some research rabbit holes. But that is... I'm going back to a food metaphor, an essential yeah. ingredient, you know, in order mm-hmm. for feedback loops to actually exist or be effective. If people don't feel safe sharing their ideas, 
maybe we could try embodying the value of innovation in this new way. Or yeah. I don't actually think this is correctly aligned with how we've collectively defined innovation. You know, there needs to be that sense, that element of, of safety to be able to share those thoughts. Psychological safety is a wonderful thing to be the queen of, even if it doesn't sound yeah. as like badass as all the other things that you hear people announcing that sort of thing. If an organization is low on psychological safety, if they're in that situation where people don't feel like they can speak up, someone's going to yell at them, humiliate them, is there a way to turn that around? This is everyone's <laughs> favorite answer. It depends. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think people in positions of the greatest power are on board, are truly receptive to hearing the truth about what's going on hearing some feedback about how to improve, then yes, it, it can be turned around. I think if leadership isn't on board, doesn't see that same reality, or frankly, just doesn't care, then it can be a lot harder for somebody, say, in a middle management position or an entry-level position to turn things around. Mm. And so in those situations, I think the questions that come to mind for me are, what's in my realm of control? What do I have some sense of autonomy or control over? If my immediate team of the four coworkers I work most closely with on a daily basis, maybe we can adapt some new behaviors or practices that work for us. And sometimes that either isn't the case or that's not enough. And then that mm. can be a really tricky situation of being a part of an organization where there isn't a sense of psychological safety or there's a misalignment between values and actions. And that can be a really tough place to stay as a worker, yeah. as an employee. That's one of the toughest conversations as well as thought processes in your head about when it's time to just move on because there's no fixing this, there's no way my values don't align with theirs. I thought they had these values. Now they're not. I have been in that situation. I really don't envy it. So hopefully we can all figure out where we are and what we were meant to be. But one of the other things I wonder is that you often work with organizations that are scaling upward. Mm -hmm. Does the challenge become different between, say, a company where you have a dozen or two dozen people where it's easy to check in on every single person about how the values are being kind of acted upon throughout the organization to when the company becomes a hundred plus. And now all of a sudden you have more layers of leadership and the possibility of different divisions within the organization, creating different subcultures. Definitely. I think with the smaller teams that I've worked with, especially where folks are all in the same geographic location or say the founder CEO is yeah. able to personally know each of the 10, 20 employees, you can successfully embody values in an organization more informally. When you start to grow and get to a point where your senior leadership doesn't have those personal relationships with everybody just because, you know, mm -hmm. there are now hundreds of employees. Now we're across six different sites in different stages, you know, a matter of just logistics and 
the realities, then you really need to build the infrastructure in your organization so that others can really understand the values. If they don't see you on a daily basis as a leader modeling that value, who are they seeing? Are those people, have they been equipped to model in the same way, have that same understanding? It becomes a lot trickier. And so I think of the difference between a 10-person startup where you're all in one location and a 200-person team with multiple offices. I really like working with clients transitioning from you know point A to point B because it can be so difficult to put together that infrastructure, that systemic yeah. infrastructure for culture. It's, it's very nebulous. It's much different than, hey, we have an SOP, a standard operating procedure for expense reimbursements yep. or decision-making even. Um, it's a lot trickier and nebulous, again, is the word that comes to mind there. Yeah. Well, it's less linear. It's less cut and paste. It's more figuring out every time. Tell us a little bit about how you work with your clients. I will work with individual leaders to one, figure out what their values are, like we talked about at the earlier point um, in our conversation. And then two, work with them in navigating through specific situations. It could be a merger acquisition. It could be, hey, one of my VPs isn't embodying these values. What do I do? Mm, Yeah. It could be you know, we think we might completely change the strategic direction of our startup. What does that mean for us? And so talking through those decisions and and trying to marry the big picture with the more in the weeds daily realities of folks. I like to help leaders think through how they can build systems that will kind of keep the organization in check. So we talked earlier about feedback loops. That's one of the things. Mm. We talked about checks and balances. So I like to connect you know, everything from the onboarding to the performance reviews. So you have the whole employee life cycle and everything is constantly bringing you back to what is the vision and mission of our organization? What are our values? Are we referring back to those and keeping them front of mind? How, you know, this value of innovation shows up for a program department versus marketing versus finance, you know, because there is going to be that customization or adaptability element too. I could go on and on on this question forever, but I'll stop Well, yeah, no, I mean, I I basically (laughs) asked you what it is you do. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I love about hosting this podcast is that, I always say, I hate that question, what do you do? And I think part of the reason for that is that if you ask two-thirds of all people, what do you do? They probably just don't want to talk about it. You know, most people, I just saw this post on Instagram today where someone was wearing a t-shirt that said, if I die today and went to hell, it would take me two weeks to realize I'm not at work anymore. And uh, I was thinking that's the attitude a lot of people have. In fact, that's part of the reason I started this podcast was to inspire people who are in that situation where they hate talking about their work because they just hate it so much or they're so uninspired by it to go out there and get something different. And so I always love, you know, the types of events I'm at and the types of recordings I do, people who really do love talking about what they're doing because it's what they want to be doing. 
it's what they feel mm-hmm. passionate about it aligns with the values and so it's like yeah you know this is something i really deeply care about and i could talk about it for two hours three hours five hours whatever the amount of stamina you think you'd have before you need to eat something drink something or go to the bathroom is so that is quite amazing and if anyone wants to know about your coaching services uh, what would be the best way to get a hold of you or check out what you got to offer the best way to learn more about me and my work is my website, fireheartcoaching.com. You also can find me on LinkedIn. Again, my first name is Brenda. Last name is Boyle, spelled B-O-Y-L-E. And I'm based here in Denver, Colorado. So that can help you filter. Uh, my tagline is the values and culture lady. And it's interesting that question of what do you do? I like yeah. to ask, what brings you joy? Or why do you do what you do? And and for me, it's uh, what brings me joy is helping leaders translate their values into simple, specific behaviors so that they create the types of teams and groups and communities they want to see. Everything underneath that brings me so much joy. So I would love to connect with any listeners out there on LinkedIn or my website, fireheartcoaching.com. Now, do you oftentimes encounter people who know what their values are, but for some reason, their behaviors are not matching them? Yes. And that happens when folks are overwhelmed by so much Mm. their plates. I'm thinking about one current client in particular who cares so deeply about being an empathetic leader and her team's tripled in size in the last three months as a result of organizational changes. She recently had uh, her first child. And so she's working 60, 70 hours a week just to almost stay afloat, keep her nose above water. And so I think a lot of this values-based work, it takes time and energy. And it's really hard when you feel like, oh my gosh, there are 12 different fires coming to me, asking to be put out. And now I'm going to take a step back away from that to do some reflection. And so that's a very real challenge being overwhelmed. And that's a tough spot to be in to balance the short-term needs versus, okay, if I take a step back, think a little bit longer term or a little bit bigger picture about values, how does that then impact my choices, my priorities, my time management, so that I'm more aligned with who I want to be, where I want to be? Yeah. And then does this also carry on to other parts of life? Because I know you mostly work with people at work. We've mostly been talking about at work, but people have values and how they interact. Like once you leave work, you're not suddenly a different person on like that one TV show people watched a couple of years ago. Oh, severed, I believe, with Adam Scott. Yeah. <laughs> or severance. And so it feels like this struggle wouldn't be the same struggle in other parts of life and how you engage your community, your family, your friends, your whatever else you're involved with. Definitely. And and I got into this during a period in my life where I had sort of pursued a dream, a dream achieved it, realized, oh no, I don't actually think this is for me or where I'm supposed to be where I want to be. And then it felt like 
the chalkboard I had been planning and dreaming on for yeah. years and years and years was just wiped clean. And so that was when I first started to think about my values to use as the foundation for everything else, both personal yeah. and professional, you know, from who am I choosing to spend my time with my friends, significant others, where do I want to live? What line yeah. of work do I want to be in? And, and so thinking through, there are so many choices and so many options for everything that you could do again, personal or professional. And so to have the values be your Guiding light is a little cheesy of a phrase, but I'll use almost a calibration tool. Am I staying true to who I am, who I want to be? Can the people you spend the most time with, whether it be coworkers, significant others, good friends, communities, hinder that ability? If you have a certain value and you have a lot of people around you who either don't exhibit that value or don't seem to find a way to respect those values, can that really make it more of a struggle and actually cause you to like lose those values from time to time. Definitely. For example, if one of your core values is honesty and the people around you for whatever reason aren't open or receptive to having candid conversations, again, could be personal, could be professional. That's going to be really tricky. And some folks in our lives, we have more choice over who we spend time with thinking more like friends versus others like family members we don't get to choose family members again what do i have control over and how can i choose things as much as possible to align with the values with the qualities with the priorities that i desire yeah and have you ever had a client describe their values or determine their values and had to like tell this client, these are terrible values. Say if someone (laughs) says like, well, the the most valuable thing in my organization is getting revenge on my former co-founder who negotiated a terrible exit or something like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So far, I'm going to knock on wood on my desk here. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that people attracted to reflecting on their values Themes I often see are empathy, authenticity, learning, joy. And so I have not, I'm going to say, yet encountered that. That would be an interesting career milestone. And I would want (laughs) to go a little bit deeper, ask some (laughs) probing questions to that person. (laughs) What do you mean Uh, by that? Why? (laughs) Where is this coming from? You know, (laughs) That that would be a crazy scenario. But they do often say that, People tend to attract the type of people that value the same thing or are thinking about the same thing or are curious about the same things. Whatever energy you're putting out in the world is mm-hmm. just not bringing you back the person who's starting a business out of you know revenge for someone who did them a dirty before. Yeah. And that, that makes me think of another sort of piece of advice. Earlier, I mentioned if you're trying to figure out your values, think about folks you admire, what are their specific behaviors, traits, qualities you admire, what are the impact of those? Another exercise that folks could do is to ask the people that they do spend a lot of time with or are close with from different life chapters and say, 
why are you friends with me? Why have we kept in touch or what do you value about our relationship? And then they'll say something, oh, because we had these things in common. Okay. You have many things in common with many people. What is it about me? And just keep asking why and peeling back layers. And that's an exercise I did. Gosh, eight years ago with folks from different life chapters. And it was interesting to see similarities in what folks who had known me from junior high say to folks who had just met me in Hmm. my 20s at that point and what had changed. That can be a fun exercise if you want to recruit some of your closest people to help you discover and explore your own values. Wow. That that sounds like an amazing exercise. And I know I'm probably not the only one who's had this thought cross my head, like, what does everyone really think of me? You'll be in a circle with your friends and you'll be talking about someone and you'll be thinking about like, oh, this person, I know this person is always the one that does this. This person always has crazy ideas. This person's always the one that makes the most ridiculous joke of all time. But then it's always like, well, you're never in the room when everyone's making the comment about you. So you have to find a way to ask people who are willing to give it to you candidly. Mm-hmm, definitely. And and I think in addition to the questions of why are we connected? Why are we friends? Or why have we kept in touch? Other questions that sort of dance around the issue are, in what environments do you see me really thrive? In what environments do you see me struggle more? Or do you see as challenges for me? And that can also help surface some themes, especially too, if, you know, we were just talking about what if you find yourself in a situation where your personal values and your organization's values may not align in theory or in practice, what do you do? What would be a better fit for you? It's really hard to stare at ourselves in a mirror and reflect deeply. So trying to get different perspectives, those who know us from different angles, pieces of history, et cetera, to ask those kinds of questions can be really valuable. Yeah. Well, it's amazing that you went all the way back to junior high, because my impression <laughs> is that the junior high and high school people all have the same thing. Like, well, I really value music and dancing and hanging out with my friends. And you'll just hear that like 50 times in a row. <laughs> if you ask like a bunch of freshmen in high school, that same question. Yeah. I was visiting my parents and they had pulled up some childhood photos and poems I apparently read or wrote rather in junior high. And one of the lines in a poem was, I wonder what happens after we die. And some of my good, apparently I've been asking that question constantly from the childhood friends to (laughs) some friends I made here in Denver when I first moved about three and a half years ago. My current fiance, you know, date yeah. one. what do you think? <laughs> I'm like, interesting. Something about myself I didn't notice or a pattern, but that to me speaks of curiosity, a uh, sense of wonder, you know, that apparently has been a constant thread throughout my life. It's interesting that yes, we have these constant threads. And then of course we have some things that change over time. Yes. And I bet you've observed quite a things that okay, I value this 10, 15 years ago, but now I either don't care about it or I've determined something else I care about more. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you brought up that point because values aren't static, especially when there are significant and emotionally impactful events. That could be something on 
a global scale like 9-11. It could be something on a more personal scale like a divorce or the death of a loved one or a marriage. You know, different life events will likely bring to the surface different values. And they could be the same, but maybe they're different in terms of priority or which one feels most present, or they could completely change. And so all of that is to say too, this practice of reflecting and and grounding our actions and our values isn't a one and done thing. I always encourage folks, you know, to revisit what is really important to me right now, or what value do I really want to bring forth and highlight or lean on in this moment? And is there a signal that you'll get in your life, a warning signal that maybe the value that you've been living by for the last five, 10 years suddenly isn't something you value anymore? That something, something about your circumstance changed or you reflected on something and now you need to update your behaviors for a different priority. A constant sense of frustration is a great red flag. You know, is there misalignment? Has something changed? I think the same thing about feeling constantly drained or overwhelmed. You know, again, something's out of whack here or something that was maybe once something that filled my cup now may no longer do so, or could even be draining my cup of of energy or motivation. And so feelings of frustration, lack of energy, overwhelm, I think are are more of the negative indicators. The positive indicators could be just, oh my gosh, I have an abundant sense of joy right now, or there's something about this. It could also be a positive indicator as well. Hmm, let me take a step back here and do some reflection. What is it about this experience that feels different or is landing differently? And and how can I tap into more of that? Yeah, that makes sense. So it can happen in both the positive and negative sense. I'm, I'm guessing the negative one shows up more often because frustration, we all get frustrated by something. I personally get frustrated with just trying to figure out things on the internet because sometimes I just get tired of being on the internet so much. But that's something that's like very different from, you know, whatever so much so long ago when everything was way more new to me and everything was way more, oh, this is interesting. This is a new thing you can do. And now I'm more like, this is my 38,912th password I've had to reset this Mm -hmm. week. Every site has its own login and password, even if I just bought a churro. You know, you get that that level of frustration versus something where it's like, I went to this activity with an open mind, but I didn't expect much of it. And I just really enjoyed it a lot. Like, this was really fun. I had just the best day of the, of the season today out of nowhere. And that's another situation where people should go back and explore, be like, well, what was it about this that I really liked? What can I do to bring more of it into my life? Definitely. What did I decide? Why did I decide those? What strengths did I use or lessons that I used that I want to carry forward? Or if I had to do this again, wave a magic wand, go back in time, what would I have done differently? So what does that tell me? I think especially for leaders who want to be authentic and aligned with their values after big decisions, after periods of change, you know, specific 
time capsule moments to go back and reflect on those, to be able to help you identify the strengths that you want to celebrate and continue building on, to be able to capture the knowledge that you've learned. So it doesn't just sort of sit vaguely somewhere in the back of your head, but it's explicitly named and front and center. Telling stories is so powerful. In, in that sense as well. And a lot of this seems to involve some form of observance or awareness, being being present in what's around you, whether it be what's happening to yourself or whether it be what you're seeing in other people. Is there certain tips that we have in order to kind of be more present, something that doesn't even take more time out of our schedule if we have busy, busy days, a l- little bit, not too much bandwidth, But there's definitely ways you can be more present, be more observant, be more likely to notice it, be more likely to understand, oh, I'm feeling this or, oh, she's acting this way and I really appreciate it. Mm, That's such a great question. And how that looks for me has a lot to do with body awareness or somatic practices. So Mm. an example of that being wherever, whenever I step into a conversation or a meeting, I'll literally press my feet against the floor to say, I'm going to literally ground myself. I'm Hmm. here now. Let me try to be present here now. I try to be aware of my breathing or also to say, you know, I really want to have a sense of openness in this conversation. I want to be here to receive whatever this person wants to share with me. I'll do that before coaching sessions. And so Mm. how can I just take a moment to connect instead of living so much in my head, (laughs) my Mm. forebrain. And so those are things that don't necessarily take time or I can do in the conversation, you know, Am yeah. I holding my breath? Let me release. So I'm open to hear and receive. Like, I want to be present. Let me ground, push my feet against the floor. A couple of practices like that. And those are the types of things that'll prevent you from letting your mind wander to another topic or, you know, picking up these devices that we always have all around or searching to that website, all the things that we have readily available to us that easily distract us and make us less present with what we're doing. Definitely. Presence is just such a gift to offer people, particularly as a leader, folks are coming to you a lot of times when they are frustrated, they're anxious, they're scared, there's a challenge or a problem. And so to be fully present, all those nonverbal cues are really important and they can be truly effective rather than, oh, I'm going to manage by walking around to use sort of an old school phrase, but I'll ask people, how was your weekend? But not stop and just keep walking by that being fully present is a great point to emphasize. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Yeah. And does this also apply to people who aren't in leadership positions? Because I know it's a little bit different in that your coworkers, you tend to be more likely to be joking around or to be like, okay, we need to figure this out rather than like this person says something mean to me or, you know, I can't believe we have this policy and stuff like that. But I'm guessing this, this presence and this being authentic applies to anyone, even if they aren't officially in a leadership title. Of course, definitely. And, and my view of, I know some people define managers, people managers versus leaders differently. And my 
perspective is we're all leaders in our own way. We can inspire and contribute and create impact and momentum as leaders. And so whether it's with a coworker, with a friend or a family member, that presence can apply to anybody, any interaction, you know, the cashier at the grocery store. I know a lot of people are thinking about the remote slash hybrid work that became popular during the pandemic. And some people are trying to walk back on that. Other people are trying to lean further into it. I know also there's been a lot more talk about these things that we're talking about now, regardless of whether you're working remotely or in person about, you know, rather than the old school top-down hierarchical leadership, this is your, this is your job. I'm your boss. Do do what I say, or you're going to get fired or not going to get a raise or something like that to something where it's a little bit more human to human connection, um, you know, purpose fulfilling and stuff like that. What do you see? Do you see any of these things actually making a big difference in what our work culture looks like now, what it looked like 10 years ago and what it's going to look like 10 years from now? Mm-hmm. I think in terms of, you know, topic number one, the remote hybrid culture, finding ways to have those human to human connection points. Hey, how's today going? Even if you're not physically present, that is huge for relationship building, for trust building, so that we can have that foundation of psychological safety we were talking yeah. about earlier to, to build these values-based cultures. Another topic that often comes up with folks is a lot of teams have four different generations, all a part of the same team, which means different communication styles, conflict over specific behaviors. And I find it's helpful to peel back the layers like, okay, let's go from behaviors to action to what are the underlying beliefs and assumptions to those? And what are the underlying values to that? I'm pretty sure anyone in any generation values respect in the workplace, but how that shows up behaviorally can be very different from a Gen Z team member to a baby boomer team member. So how can we start the conversation by connecting over our shared ground of some kind of shared value? Similarly, another topic of conversation that comes up a lot is people with different work styles or personalities Mm -hmm. or approaches to work. And so finding out, I think if I had to distill my philosophy of leadership, I would say one, it starts with awareness of our own values and who we are. Then it goes to number two, building an awareness of the values of those we're in relation with, of those that we're working with. Because if we don't know our own values and if we don't know the values of other people on our team, how do we identify common ground? How could we inspire a shared vision or mission so that we can collaborate or get the project done on time or things like that? And so I think this philosophy of of values-based leadership very much applies to today's workforce even more. How are we going to handle an increase in artificial intelligence in our workplaces. What decisions does that impact? Well, what are our values? Like, let's go back down to those and and start from there first to inform whatever decisions or know that we're being aligned with what really is at the core of what we're all doing. You know, who do we want to be? Why are we here? That's all about values. Yeah. Well, 
That's something I really hope happens more because it seemed like in the work culture of the past, everyone had to be the same person and everyone was expected to work the same style. And now we're making space for people to be more in line with who they are, but finding that touch point where everyone can be in line with who they are, but we can still accommodate one another so we can have a, a cohesive team, which involves, I'm guessing, a li- just a little bit of compromise you know, and that like, you can't just do whatever you want, whenever you want, but you can still find a way to be more aligned with your, your values. And that could even be just finding that organization that aligns with your values because they're being communicated more directly and they're being acted upon more consistently. Definitely. I I think the theme of work is there's no one way of being a quote unquote good employee. There's no more one way of being quote unquote professional. There's no more, this is the one and only leadership model. And so to have the fluidity across and the ability to connect across all of these differences, again, using values as, as the common grounding tool, that shared space. Well, that is wonderful. Brenda, I'm so glad that you were able to join us today on Actions Antidotes. I'm so glad that you were able to find that place where you're living according to your values and doing stuff that fills your cup and makes you feel that you're, I guess, in alignment, for lack of a better way to put it, with uh, you know, whatever whatever you're feeling like you're supposed to do and embracing that curiosity, embracing that interest in helping people live better lives. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. And always a work in progress. (laughs) Always a work in progress. And the thing I'll say out there to all you listeners, besides thank you for listening again, and hopefully you'll listen to more episodes, is you are a work in progress. And so whatever is going on in your life, if there's something going on that's not ideal, remember, you're a work in progress and your life's a work in progress. You could always make the decision right now to be more present, figure out what your values are and figure out a way to live in closer alignment with them, whether it be being around the right people more often or finding the organization that matches your values. Mm -hmm.